While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. I'm trying to think if, if Laura and I do anything similar. I don't know what it is. There is a there is a similar, like, what if, what if you didn't do that? <laughs> like, I don't know exactly. No. We, I don't think we say that. I think that's the thing that you do. You do that to people. Well, You've done that to I, me. I, I do, I say, and I didn't even notice this until you guys started making fun of me for it, but I will tell people that they don't need to do something if they don't want <laughs> That is exactly what you do. <laughs> can you get? Can you give me an example? Can I? What could I do that's annoying right now? What can you? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, you could stop. You could stop making that noise if you want. <laughs> that's pretty much how I roll. I'm trying. Would that work if you were a parent? Do you think that would work on kid on like your kid? I definitely, whether it worked or not, I definitely would try. You would it. do it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like my command. wording leaves am- ambiguity. Like I'm actually trying to give them the option, which I totally am not. Yeah, if like, you did I, that to a two year old, you'd be boned. Two year old be like, "But I wanna." <laughs> but I want to. Why? Yeah, you'd be, you'd be screwed. I may have to adjust my methods. It works pretty well on grown up people. <laughs> it's so underhanded. <laughs> I can't believe you do I that. Don't, I don't like confrontation. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Alright. Well, should we start this podcast? I guess let's Alright, we're starting this podcast. Welcome to Overdue. Uh, it's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And uh we talk about books each week. And we uh, tell each other really passive aggressive <laughs> stuff that we do. <laughs> Uh, feel free if you uh, don't have any strong feelings about books, but you have strong feelings about passive aggressiveness, to uh, send us some passive aggressive messages. We'll talk no, about. You're that not. Later. You're not doing it right. You guys could email us if you wanted. I mean, if you really wanted to, <laughs> it'd be nice. Yeah. Actually, well, you we haven't didn't... emailed in a while. <laughs> we really. I mean, it's not a big deal. <laughs> That's a terrible. It's totally fine. What like, voice can... am I doing? I don't even know. I'm not sure. It's totally we fine. Do... We do have some reader email, or not email, it's a Facebook message, which I guess is what the kids are using in place of email now. I use, okay, real quick, what do okay. you use Facebook messages for? This is like a, this is a thing on our Facebook page wall, which is very nice, but what do you use the messaging part of Facebook for? Basically nothing. Like I use it and Twitter messaging the same way, and it's usually... When I like know somebody and we're kind of like friendly, but we've not gotten to the point in our relationship where we we have exchanged like phone numbers so that we can just text or emails or or emails, but usually not emails. Usually yeah. email is for like professional correspondence or like stuff with friends that I already have. Okay, because I've done the same thing where it's like 
I know I'm friends with that person, but I don't know if my number for them is up to date or if I even have their number. And I definitely don't have their most recent email, so I'm just going to Facebook them. Yeah. Uh, or, like, sometimes it's easier to use Facebook for a group, like, a big group thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of, like, group texting because, like <laughs> – you're you're taking your life in your hands when you group text people because like most like half of all the phones that i've ever used have group texted really poorly well and i will as someone who does not have a smartphone group texting is the worst yeah i just get a bunch of picture messages that are text doesn't make any (laughs) sense well anyway you got a facebook message from someone well we got the the overdue page got it wasn't addressed to you it was addressed to us no it's addressed to us both of us as a group okay okay and this is from Susanna, who I might be engaged to. It's not big. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if she it. wants to. <laughs> if she wants to. <laughs> and Susanna asks, what's your opinion on audiobooks? Could you listen to an audiobook for this podcast, or do you have a rule about doing things the old-fashioned way? I don't – do we have a rule? We've not. I mean, I we don't have a rule. I find it – I mean, just on a personal note, I find it hard to follow audiobooks. Like, I can listen – if I'm driving, I can listen to – a podcast or something but when i'm listening to a book it just becomes like background noise and i find myself like tuning in tuning it out and like thinking about something else or just kind of drifting away from it over time i definitely feel like i don't pay as much attention to the book when it's being read to me by somebody yeah and i have never listened to an audiobook so i actually don't know it maybe would depend on the book and who was reading it like if it was if Ian McKellen was reading me a book, mm-hmm. let's say Lord of the Rings. <laughs> okay, I don't know why you have to pigeonhole Ian McKellen like that. But well, let's... I mean, he could read me an economic textbook, but I'm not going to listen to it. Let's... <laughs> but if he's reading you the X-Men. <laughs> if he's reading me X-Men comics. How would a comic audiobook work? Would they have to like describe the pictures to you? <laughs> And in this frame, Wolverine's uniform has become tattered, but his skin remains immaculate. That's actually, those are the words in the last, that's, no one's ever written that in a comment. Um, But I think depending on who was reading it, I would potentially pay more attention. Um, But I agree with you. I have to be, I listen to a lot of podcasts um, and I totally sympathize with anyone who occasionally kind of checks out of ours if they're listening to it, like, on the way to something, you know, like, either if you're driving or you're walking and um, you get distracted or you're actually trying to go somewhere. Like, I try not to listen to podcasts when I'm in the supermarket. Sure. Because I actually, I'm trying to get, <laughs> trying to get stuff done. Yeah, and I do try, like, when I'm in a supermarket or in some place where somebody's waiting on me i do try to take my headphones out because i don't want to look like some yuppie snob i don't know yeah i never like to have earphones in at a register i always try to take them out Mm -hmm. um so in that case for me i think it would be finding the right time to listen to an audiobook you know what i mean especially because i don't do a lot of long driving yeah uh perhaps and you you don't have like a super long commute or anything no either. no 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 you know my commute if i don't walk the hallway my my commute to work is usually like 15 minutes by train um, if i do walk it's like 25 which is great for the right podcast but i think it might be harder for a book mm-hmm. um i'd be interested in doing it for this show i think that that would be fun but i'd have to well, find i mean I, right. I, I think there's 
also a divide because for this show specifically where we aren't just like reading the books and then walking away from them and not like maybe digesting them privately but not really discussing them yeah like i think it's probably easier to listen to an audiobook when you're not like on the hook to <laughs> to discuss the book and its relevant themes later on like usually <laughs> it's just easier to be able to highlight text and yeah i would have to journal the whole time i was listening yeah like oh, 22 15 Ian McKellen makes a really good point. Go back to that part. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess it would. I, I've heard that a lot of the like, I reckon I would have a good time listening to, a like Tina Fey's book if she were reading it to me. You know. Yeah, yeah. That is the type of book that I would like to listen to an audiobook of, or like if Ellen wrote a book or or something like that, or other female comedians that I like. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it's almost like a stand-up routine yeah. more than it is somebody reading a book to you. I mean, if it was a, a – yeah, I think it would, be, it would become – it would be much more natural for me to read like a memoir of any kind because um, that's generally what I gravitate towards in um, po- podcasts anyways, you know, mm-hmm. people telling stories. So I don't know. Is that, answer, is that a sufficient answer to I the think, question? I mean, the answer is maybe we don't have a, we don't have a rule. <laughs> There's nothing saying that we couldn't, but personally, we tend to gravitate away from them. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. For various attention reasons, I think that's fair. Okay. So, thank you for that reader message. Um, If you have other messages that you want to send us, you can hit us at our email address at overduepod at gmail.com. And we are also um, overduepod on Twitter, and um, we have a Facebook page up at facebook.com slash overduepod. And we check all of those with some regularity. Um, Facebook, Facebook is probably is the easiest. <laughs> yes, that's probably what we're most ac- active on. But we do check everything. So if you if you hit us with something, we will get to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. All right, that's out of the way. What yeah, happens now? Got that. Got that off the table. Whoosh. Man, what else do we do on this podcast? I feel like yeah, I feel we've done so much work. I don't. know. <laughs> We responded to a thing. It took a lot out of me. Yeah. Uh, also, we read books, though. So you read a book. I did read a book. what was the book? It it was. <laughs> it is. It's sitting right next Segway to me. Segway King. It's A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, I believe. Okay. Uh, why did you read this book? Uh, it was the Pulitzer Prize winner in, I want to say, either 2011 or 2012. It's um, a pretty recent. Pretty recent. But I've had it on my shelf for a little over a year. Uh, a good friend of mine, a uh, college buddy of ours, lent it to me. Or actually, he just gave it to me. He already he has another copy. Um, and it was one of those things where I have a couple books that he was like just kind of unloading, which is kind of <laughs> great. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to get to them all. But I'd heard about this this book on NPR and then became kind of interested when it was a Pulitzer winner because uh, it kind of, you know, it's a book that the, the cover has like a big guitar on it and it, you know, is about the music industry maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of keeping it at arm's length. So I was like, I don't know if that's like the world I'm into. I kind of want to talk to you about that in a second. Sure. Um, and then was surprised. Well, because, yeah, there were, there were two – things about the book that i want to ask about and the one was the pulitzer prize thing which maybe even is a good conversation to have like yeah. as we're wrapping up 
and the other was like the structure of the book because it's it's another one of those that um sort of like i don't know what have we done we've done like love in the time of cholera we've done um, you've used breakfast of champions as a good reference point yeah like breakfast of champions um martian chronicles like all these books that are there is a narrative through line but it also could be approached as like a collection of like interconnected short stories almost so i kind of wanted to ask you like like what's the basic structure like and like what's the through line of everything okay so there are 13 chapters okay and each chapter has a different uh protagonist and that protagonist might be one of the a character you've already met um or someone who's already been a protagonist but at a different point in their life so the book kind of spans from the 60s into the near future um somewhere around 2020 i believe it's not explicit and so you meet i think the first character you meet is this girl named sasha and she's one of the two main characters of the book and she is a woman in her 20s maybe early 30s um and she's living in new york and she works for a record label and she is the assistant of the other main character a guy named benny salazar and he is when you first meet him he's kind of middle-aged and he is a record producer for a successful label he discovered like you know some punk rock band called the conduits i think Mm -hmm. um and early you then you meet him when he's younger and he has a band called the flaming dildos while he's in college uh and it kind of charts through his life um you you get a couple chapter a chapter or two about the record producer that he worked for uh, who had some illicit relationships with people Benny went to college with. And then you meet relatives of Sasha and friends of Sasha. Um, there's a whole chapter about Sasha, about one of Sasha's kids later in her life. And then the final chapter is actually a nice wraparound. There's a guy that Sasha goes on a date with in the first chapter. And the last chapter is about him. Um, mm-hmm. And him working for Benny Salazar, so it it kind of goes all over the place. I I would say it starts in the present day, and then kind of goes back in time first, and then jumps back to the present, and then scoots a little in the future, and then goes back, and then goes into the near future, the purposeful near future at the end. Okay, it's so um... time trotting with a little bit of globe trotting. Okay, and I'm, I'm sorry. What was the female main character's name again? Uh, Sasha. And Sasha the, the main and guy Benny, is Benny. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I imagine, I guess, with Sasha being in her like late twenties, early thirties at the outset, and then like Benny being older, but then going back in time to when like Benny was maybe around her age. I, I imagine there are like parallels between these characters that the book sets up or not direct parallels between them. The, the overall parallel parallel between all of the chapters. Uh, and this relates to the title of the book and is kind of useful when unpacking the book as a whole is the main goon in the book. Like it's called a visit from the goon squad, right? Sure. Um, the main goon is time. There's a chapter uh, midway through the book where it's not Sasha it, I don't believe it might be Sasha um, 
they go to this kind of washed up guitarist's house and he used to be in this big you know influential band he might even been the backup for the conduits i think and he wants to do this solo tour and he's washed up he's not physically fit to go on tour and he's actually planning the tour as like a suicide tour he's like actively hoping that he will die on stage and the (laughs) reason to come see him is that maybe he will die while he's on like that is the hook of the tour that's why you go right Pretty I mean, bleak. there have, I've I've seen concerts like that, but <laughs> I wouldn't consider it a draw. <laughs> and there's it's this guy named Bosco, and they're talking to him, and he says, "Time's a goon." And he's like, "How did I go from being a rock star to being a fat f word? No one cares about." Um, and he he says the f word. I censored him. Right. Can we can we say the we we usually try to keep the show clean, but we, can we say it like in quotes? I don't know. Being a fat beep, no one cares about. How about that? Because <laughs> you said dildo earlier, and I, I think yeah, that's not that's that's a real word, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean they're explicit. all real words. <laughs> um, but so the main tension in the book is between who people are at any given time and who they either were or who they're afraid of becoming. Okay. Um, and that bears out in almost every chapter. One of the ones that actually struck me really successfully is uh, this character, Lou, who is an older record producer who sleeps around a lot, even though he's married, and gets involved with some of the girls that Benny went to high school with. Mm-hmm. There's a whole chapter where he's on safari with, I guess, kind of his mistress or his girlfriend and two of his kids. And throughout the chapter, it will occasionally just give you a paragraph about the rest of that person's life, like, over the next 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. And there's no, like, the character's not aware of it. It's really just the author, the author voice telling you what's going to happen to that person and how they're not going to, you know, one of Lou's sons ends up killing himself at an early age and, you know, contrasting that with his daughter who goes on to do, you know, such and such. Um, and no one really lives up to what they thought they were going to be. That is the ultimate kind of lesson of the book, which is yeah, really kinda, depressing. It's kind of bleak. Like, does anybody um, does anybody become what they wanted to be, or is it they, all? There are some surprises, right? Um, Sasha kind of Sasha is a kleptomaniac, which is, I think the idea of time stealing parts of yourself from you is, you know, where that comes into play as a thematic element. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Sasha, she, before she goes to college, she like flees to Italy and her uncle has to track her down. And while she's there, he, you know, he finds her and then she steals his wallet and like, there's a whole big scene and she ends up going to college and still messes around. And, ends up working at the record label and her life slowly becomes more and more humdrum to the point where, you know, I'd say three quarters of the way through the book, you find out that she kind of settled down with this guy and has a very normal, boring life. Mm-hmm. Um, so like she's okay, but it's not the globe trotting wild life that she was leading. That was still causing her all sorts of weird anxiety. You know? Yeah. Um, Benny, he's fine he the in the last chapter of the book he ends up 
kind of organizing this whole big public concert uh, centered around the f- a former high school friend of his who plays the slide guitar who became a hobo after high school and like f- went off the grid basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I want to come back to this cause it, it's this whole weird social commentary thing that I'm not ready to talk about yet. Um, but he organizes this whole big public event around this guy and it ends up working out. And it's like this last success for Benny after he is, uh, kind of faded from relevance. He he left the big successful record label and ended up at his own in, independent label and just kind of wanted to create a thing that people cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has to do it as like the shadow of his former self. And um, there's all sorts of implications that it cost him a lot. So, no, I don't, I, very few people escape from time in this book. But yeah. is it, I mean, is it always a, bad thing for time to overtake you like it doesn't necessarily sound like it's the worst thing to like instead of the globetrotting rock star lifestyle that you imagined for yourself to have settled down and to have like a family life or instead of being some major label success to like sacrifice a lot of things and like create something smaller but on your own terms like it seems like these things are these things could be viewed as successes in a lot of lights and maybe the book is painting them in a, in a negative light. I don't know. I think the book takes pains to point out the compromises you made along the way regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Sasha's uncle who goes searching for her in Italy is an art history professor and he's very excited to be there in Italy to track down his niece because he gets to go see this, you know, wonderful uh, sculpture of Eurydice and Orpheus that he really loves. Um, and that's, you know, that's interesting for him as a, like, frozen moment in time and expression of love in time, etc. Um, but there's this really heartbreaking paragraph where he talks about his wife and how over the course of their marriage he kind of, like, kept folding his desire for her in half until it was like small enough that he could put it in his pocket and forget about it. (laughs) Um, And then the next step that happens in their relationship is that he describes it anyway, as her having almost emotional amnesia for their relationship being anything than what it is. So she's like Mm. oddly pleasant and totally okay with the weird status quo they're at. And it just, kind of pains him to think about that because he realizes, you know, that she has made her coping mechanism and is getting by, but he has his own regrets with regards to it all. Um, So, like, it's not just with regards to music. And that was one of the things I I wanted to bring up earlier was that, like, music and the music scene is, like, an entryway for this book. But I was kind of pleasantly surprised by how it was not the focus I anticipated it to be. Sure. It was kind of a backdrop and like a thematic thing, but not like solely the focus of people rising and falling in the music industry or whatever. Yeah. Cause not to get off topic, but like they spent a lot of time talking about like the types of kids who went to lots of concerts in high school and like hung out at punk shows and stuff. And I was, that is so alien to my existence. Like, <laughs> 
I have a deep appreciation for music, and most most of it involves marching band and jazz band. So yeah. like the idea of you know we drank some beers and snuck into this club and we saw that hot band like that is not I don't know what that is I don't know what yeah that. like I like I mean I really, I really like live music that's well done but yeah that that tracks with my experience too yeah, and I've I've probably been to I don't know like probably less than 10 I like was gonna actual say the concerts same for thing. real yeah. like I've I've and then that doesn't count like I don't know like acapella performances and like I've gone to see the symphony a couple times it doesn't it, like stuff like that but as far as popular music concerts that you know people think of when they think of young people going to concerts I have not I've not done that that many times No and two of the most like they're not even the ones that I've been to this is one of the reasons I kind of want to talk about this book because this is a fun subject. <laughs> sure. What one of the none of the concerts I've been to, at least in my mind, very few of them have been for bands that I like care about. Sure. Like or artists that I identify strongly with. Like I have, I really like the flamenco gypsy group, the Gypsy Kings. I saw them live. That was very nice. You know. <laughs> I've seen. But it's not like your life has changed. No. It's not like you're going to become a, a gypsy head and like follow them around on tour. I saw, <laughs> like, yeah, I saw one band that I, you know, the the closest I think is is like a jam band called Umphreys McGee that I saw in high school that a friend of mine really liked and I enjoyed also. You know, um, I've seen Brian Adams twice in concert. <laughs> I don't listen to Brian Adams except when I'm seeing him in concert, <laughs> which is apparently pretty often. I, saw, I guess. yeah, I saw Tony Bennett in concert, and now I listen to Tony Bennett. But that wasn't like that was happenstance that I went there at all. Yeah, um, it, I was. I'm not like I, I. All the music I listened to in middle and high school, I don't think I saw any any one of those bands live. Yeah, like who? I'm trying to think. And my have you ever seen the Pixies? I know you like the Pixies. I did. I did see the Pixies actually in 2004. That specifically was the show that I was talking about. When you're kind of worried that the frontman is going to keel over oh, <laughs> on no. stage in front of you, <laughs> he's a big dude. Um, yeah, I, I saw them in like freshman year of college. I think I've seen I've seen Weezer two times. Okay, one, I, I understand you have one, mixed feelings about Weezer. One when I actually liked them, okay. which was my first concert, actually, and then one after I had pretty much finished liking them. I like that like, you have a like a BC AD split on Weezer, <laughs> or you like like LT and HT. Right now, the thing about that Weezer show is the people who were opening for them were the second Weezer show, the like post me caring about Weezer show. Um, the bands that were opening for them were the Kaiser Chiefs, which is like this British group. Oh, I've heard of the Kaiser Chiefs. Who, yeah. I mean, I like them okay. Um, they're kind of like, I don't know. We don't need to get into what they're like. <laughs> and then the the Foo Fighters, which if I had oh, been man. into the Foo Fighters at the time, I would love that show because it was like, even knowing really not that much about their music at all, like it was a really high energy and a really fun show to watch because like Dave Grohl broke a string in the middle of a song and just kept going <laughs> like, he <laughs> shouted that he had broken a string and then he didn't care and then he kept playing the song oh man so yeah i really i feel like i missed the boat because i would have liked that show a lot but i had not really gotten very far into their discography ever so yeah it's a weird and thing i think i saw the i think i saw the bare naked ladies once but i made out what was that like through most of it it was kind of <laughs> weird i think i saw it, vertical horizon live <laughs> 
you go to see these concerts and yeah they like they play the one or two songs that they have and then a bunch of others and then you go home it was weird or it's about or it's more about like the people you go with and the stuff that you do before and after yes more more even than the definitely at that time and it was not because it was not part of like my identity you weren't i wasn't heavily as heavily invested in whoever i was seeing i was going to be with people you know what i mean yeah or brian adams or i mean now yeah (laughs) i saw him do an acoustic set like a year ago it was great i did not purchase those tickets they were given to me (laughs) by someone who couldn't attend they passed them along it's yeah that really that clears your good name yep I'm still good. Um, I'm still good. So to circle back around to books for a second. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that, one, that we have such a similar relationship to like live popular music. Yes, I'm glad. And two, that you, I don't know, that, that the book was about that without being focused on it, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, it it I think in doing some of the reading about the book afterwards, uh, Egan was kind of vaguely like had a vague sense of what the music industry was um and just kind of you know listen to music on the radio but i think one of the reasons it's important to the theme of the book is that that industry kind of especially now it seems much more rapid like the ascent and decline of anything popular is so fast yeah right uh and that kind of plays into where the book ends up so the whole last chapter is this near future almost like social commentaries satire chapter where the target demographic for all like major musical acts are what they call the quote pointers which are like kids age six months to three years who have learned to operate smartphones basically like she calls them handsets <laughs> in the book and they're able to like poke their fingers at things and this so they call them the pointers right and so all of these, there's even like a line about Nine Inch Nails, like releasing some nonverbal track because like kids don't understand words. So it was like the music, I don't know. It's really, it's kind of purposefully absurd, right? When I think about music that I want my six month old to three year old <laughs> child to listen to. Well, you're not playing the Johnny Cash version of Hurt. <laughs> okay. Um, or Head Like a Hole or whatever. But, um, so it's kind of the idea that like the only new demographic left is this young demographic, you know, as young as young as humorously possible. Mm-hmm. And then the the way you have to market to them is this whole subterfuge of social media. And it at first it feels kind of awkward cuz I don't know how many books you've read that have that grapple with the internet, but for me it always feels weird. Like it I don't this is the first book that I've read that at least handled it okay cuz it didn't talk yeah, about it too like, much. In more modern like I I haven't I th- I think when I was a kid I read some some like young adult books that were like were written when the internet was becoming a thing. Like I think it's it's less awkward before the internet. It's less awkward after the internet is kind of a given. Yes. By that time when it was like a new thing oh, that you couldn't count on your audience to be familiar with. Like that was, Well, that's what that's when it gets the weird. There's a specific spot, let alone all the other moral issues I have re- vis-a-vis Orson Scott Card and the Ender's Game series. 
but like okay. the part of that series where he has to recognize like where technology catches up to his universe and he has to start kind of like retconning his own science fiction to include the invention of the internet sure like that gets really weird um but that's not related to this book um <laughs> so the way that that kind of whole chapter goes is this main character Alex who's is a sound mixer who wants to work for Benny but the only way that Benny you know is going to use him is to like kind of sell his contact list for lack of a better word okay to do and hire them to post on social media about this artist basically and promote this free concert as if it were just them saying something so it's all okay. like under the table social media uh grassroots marketing basically mm-hmm. and the dim view of where that leads society is that you are like selling yourself but you can't own up to it um and you can't take credit for it or else people will say that you like sold out like it it is a it is a next level of selling out that is different from just like taking a big record contract you know okay um and so the main character alex like agrees to do this but the way he has to do it is he like he can't tell any of his friends that he's paying them to do it so he pays a person to pay his friends to do it and then it like they tell all their friends and then it becomes this giant concert somewhere in like the East village or something. Um, and it's, you know, he is happy that it worked, but it's, you know, at what cost? Cause he totally compromised his, you know, not selling out belief system. Yeah. Whatever. Like is that, and, and this being the last chapter in the book, right. Um, that I guess ties into the theme of, giving up part of yourself to get what you want. And maybe if the book lasted a little longer, we would get to him being like middle-aged and disillusioned and yeah, exactly. Having gone through the stuff that the rest of the characters in the book mm-hmm. went through. And it, it ends with um, Alex and Benny talking about the fact that Alex knew Sasha um, briefly, like they went on one date mm-hmm. um, and Sasha doesn't work for Benny at that, at this point in the book. And so like it, the image is them, you know, walking by where she used to live to see if she's still there. And of course she's not or whatever. Um, And so it just kind of, there are these like moments in time that stick out throughout the book and seem to be kind of locus points of activity um, that characters obsess over. And, And then the other whole half of talking about this book is the weird virtuosity of tone and style. Um, Explain, break that phrase down for me a little bit. (laughs) Sure. So included in this book is a celebrity profile written by a character in the book that kind of feels like a nonfiction article that David Foster Wallace would write. Like it has footnotes and is kind of very personal in an oddly eccentric way. Uh, What makes it very humorous is that character is writing it from jail because he assaulted the celebrity and you know, you're reading that you're reading that article with the foreknowledge of that happening. So you're kind of okay. waiting for that to happen. Um, there's also a chapter that is some sort of weird comedy chapter where a publicist is working for an African dictator and like has to make him look good. So she 
gets him to wear a goofy hat, and then when that works, they need more, so she gets him to uh, hook up with this celebrity who then uses the opportunity to, like, take a crap all over everything that Dictator stands for, and then it becomes a huge international incident. That feel That's a weird chapter. There's a whole chapter that's in the second person, and it is the most successful chapter in the second person that I've ever read. <laughs> How many... How many chapters? Well, I've read, read a lot person? of choose like give yourself goosebumps books. <laughs> that's not. I wouldn't say that's the highest bar that no. you've set. I um, mean, not all all my love to R.L. Stein, but who's a, who's still around? Really, I guess. really, like, all your all, love think, to R.L. Stein. <laughs> like much respect to to the man because. So here's what I'll I'll he save, gave me many goosebumps. I'll save the most the like the big thing that people talk about when they talk about this book for next for like the next point i'm going to make what makes that whole second person chapter work is that the character who's narrating it quote unquote is um i think he's high like the whole chapter and he's very aware this is about the music industry after all yes Uh, i think (laughs) he's in college at the time and he is a friend of sasha's who like she asks to pretend to be her boyfriend because she thinks that her dad is like checking up on her. And so of course he develops feelings for her, but then she ends up seeing this other guy. Um, And so at this party, he gets really high and, you know, kind of there's a a distance between himself and the version of him that is high. Like he's, he feels very disconnected from who he is. So in that sense, like the second person really works because he's almost talking to himself the entire chapter if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I found that very successful. And then the big, like, weird thing that happens in the book is there's a 70-page PowerPoint chapter written from the perspective of one of Sasha's, uh, well, not one of, Sasha's daughter, uh, who also has an older brother. So it's all it's just a chapter of PowerPoint slides? Yeah, it is 70 pages of PowerPoint slides. Now, how good at PowerPoint are they are they the kind of person who uses it as an outline and then talks about different stuff or do they cram as much stuff onto a single slide as is humanly possible no they're pretty spare they're spare and kind of poetic like um i don't i can't really read one on air (laughs) um but one is like you know there are some of them are like flow charts so they basically you know there are arrows between them that makes sense and some of them are kind of like um one one slide is the title is what i suddenly understand and then there's two bubbles with a plus sign in between them and one says my job is to make people uncomfortable and the other one says i will do it all my life and then there's an arrow pointing to a bubble that says my mother sasha blake is my first victim and so it's like this i think the girl is autistic i don't think I can't I can't remember if it's supposed to be her. I couldn't quite tell if it was supposed to be her or her older brother that's autistic. Um it seems like it's the girl who's doing the slides. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of doing it as a journal and there's a couple slides where she's trying to explain to her mom why she prefers to do things that way. Uh it's oddly effective. <laughs> uh and it actually it spends a whole section of that chapter with the son's obsession with pauses in popular music and the uh, like down to the second 
of when a song has a pause in it and how long it lasts and then whether or not the song picks back up and how long the song is there afterwards. Um, and it's a really interesting part of the book to kind of reflect on the theme of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one of the slides is the the man that Sasha marries, like not understanding why her son is why their son is so obsessed with music and specifically oddly weirdly obsessed with pauses and the explanation that she offers is like in the pause you you worry if the song's going to end and then you're relieved when it doesn't but then you know that it's going to anyway um you know hit your head up hit, hit yourself over the head with the theme of the book i suppose <laughs> right <laughs> um but i guess all of this points to the fact that like what I'd heard about the book, aside from it winning the Pulitzer, was that it was a good beach read. <laughs> okay. And I don't know if I I would say that it is easy to read, like, syntactically, you know? Well, and it sounds like with the chapter structure that it kind of breaks down cleanly and lends itself well to, like, short bursts. Yes, the because the, the characters themselves don't keep a good track of who they are throughout the book. So, like, I was... I was reading it a chapter at a time and and was not really burning through the book pretty quickly. And I didn't feel like I needed to because it wasn't plot driven. Um, And so I could see that being an easy thing to do on the beach. But I don't know, like that whole that moniker for me means like it was a, a breezy read that went by smoothly. You know, yeah, like I don't really I don't in my head, the Venn diagram of. Pulitzer Prize books and beach reads <laughs> is not like there's not a lot of overlap there. No, I, I, don't, I figure I, don't think so. I feel I feel like a beach read is also like a book that you take on the airplane just so you had something to do during takeoff and landing or something. Like it's it's not something challenging, I guess. And and maybe not every Pulitzer book needs to be super challenging, but it seems like less challenging books have a have less of a chance to say something. Yes. Or, like, mean yeah. something, you know? Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot that is very universal in this book without the book feeling general, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like, the characters are very specific. Like, I was I was fascinated even just reading the first chapter because it's structured as Sasha, the kleptomaniac, telling the story of this date with this guy to her therapist. And I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting book. And then we never went back there again. (laughs) (laughs) We went all over the place. You know, and I I really liked the device in the chapter with Lou on Safari where we were, you know, flashing forward into the future a lot. Um, And then all of a sudden I was reading a chapter in the second person. And then all of a sudden I was reading this crazy satire chapter. And it's, it's interesting because the book is so loose structurally that you don't really mind that it takes such stylistic leaps at least Mm -hmm. i didn't um people should feel free to email me back and argue um there's also a weird chapter that's like something a, a minor moment in a chapter that i really found interesting was this i think it's benny's wife actually they move into this kind of country clubbish community and she starts playing tennis with people and it's all, you know, they are they are rock people. So they have that kind of like, we don't, we're just here because we had the opportunity to be. These people are stupid. And she 
hits it off with the with the woman and really enjoys playing tennis with her and kind of has to hide that from Benny because some of the people don't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this paragraph where she describes how she will hide from him that she's going to play tennis, but will tell him that she is going into the city for a meeting later that day, but she'll just kind of lie about the time. So she's not really lying, but she is. And he and she can still tell him the truth, even though she's lying. Like, the way that that kind of microcosm of navigating a relationship <laughs> felt, like, oddly painful to read and very human at the same time. Yeah, there's, like, a specificity there that... that um feels like it's coming from personal experience i guess yeah I don't know. yeah there's a and there's a lot of that throughout the book i think there's um you know something that kind of rang a little generic was when the uh the girl who makes all the powerpoint slides like she talks about how her dad has you know she can tell he's having a hard day because he poured a big gin and tonic in one of the slides you know sure um, and that kind of feels a little cliche, but it's in, it's happening in this otherwise very bizarre chapter, so I guess I'll give it a pass. Yeah, and um, it's one of those, like, I don't know, people drink when they're sad, and yep. it's a cliche, but there's, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot of truth to it, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's odd how the book kind of navigates, like, real quick, I think it's interesting how the book very briefly will allude to 9-11, but won't dwell on it. It's aware it's using it as a time landmark, but like doesn't dwell on it too hard, you know? Yeah. Um, It mentions it in a couple chapters, but not in any overt way. And I'm always sensitive to that in media because like that can very easily become what a story is about. And And it's just been it's been exploited. So it has been exploited. Yes. Um, So thoroughly. And so. I don't even want, I don't even know what word yeah, I want. I like it's just it's any mention of it sets my sensors off because it it it's like I don't know. We've talked about this in some other books. Like a lot of the time, nine eleven is just used like to invoke some feeling in your reader or your viewer without doing the hard work of like connecting with them on a personal level. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and that's not yeah. you know. When it's used in a book that is primarily about the passage of time as simply a landmark, I think it succeeds much more than when it is used in, say, you know, when disaster imagery is used in a movie just to yeah. make you, like, feel horrified. Yeah. Um, and then the whole thing with the end is, like, all these kids who become, the like, the babies that become this whole buying generation are are a new baby boomer after like 15 years of war. And she Mm -hmm. also alludes to like all sorts of uh, climate change issues without really diving into them, which is kind of weird and very (laughs) pessimistic and awful. (laughs) Um, Like there's like, it seems like there's a lot more desert in the world than there used to be. And there's like a line in the PowerPoint chapter where it's like the daughter and the dad go out to this desert where there used to be golf courses and now there's just a bunch of solar panels and all the animals that used to live in the desert can't live under the solar panels because they can't be in the sun. And the daughter's like, well, at least they can go live on all the old golf courses because those are deserts now. And she's like, what, what are we talking about? Jeez. 
Um, it's all about time, I guess. You know, yep, it's, it's all, all about erosion. It's all back into yeah, time. Yeah. So let's like, I don't know. As we as we wrap up, uh huh. I guess um, Are we running out of time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, we we're we're in there. Um, what's the? I don't know. Bring it. Bring it home. What's the? What's the overarching? Overarching. Overarching. What's the thing you got out of this book? What's the thing I got out of this book? Um, I got out of this book something I don't think about too often is the dis- the distance between where I am and where I was and where I expected to be when I was there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Weirdly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realized I tossed, it, I tossed out a bunch of time and place like prepositions and it oddly made sense. No, it's like... I don't know. Maybe, maybe when we were in college, we, I don't mean, I, I can't say that I ever gave a lot of thought to where I would be when I was yes. getting ready to turn 28. I'm not sure that I even expected that I would be anywhere, but like, here's where I am and it's like fine. Yeah. But there, yeah. There, but there are like things that could have gone very differently, like for better or for worse. So. Well, and the quote that is that I'm staring at right now from the author that makes this perfectly clear, she said that time is the stealth goon, the one you ignore because you are so busy worrying about the goons right in front of you. Um, so kind of what you just said is like you rarely give enough thought to where you're going because you're dealing with what you're doing right now. Yeah. And then only once you get there do you look back and wonder what was going on. I I can, because I think you and I both live a lot of, and I think a lot, you know, a lot of people kind of live day to day or like week to week, and they have these like small to medium scale problems that are on their minds, and then every once in a while, you get to do some like big stuff or like something big comes up without you even yes yes without you even looking for it, and you just have to deal with it, and it kind of colors everything that everything that comes after yeah Um, and i think also like i don't know like in the in the industries that we are in we have this strange extra thing to juggle and i think a lot of young people do because the the thing where you like get to a job and you have that job and that's your career and that's what you do for like 30 years is just not it's not not a thing thing anymore no it's not and so while we are facing the goons that are in front of us we always have to be cognizant of like where's the next thing going to be like where do i want to be next like I, it's like being here for 20 years, even if it's an option, maybe isn't something that I want. So what, you know, what do I do and how do I work toward it? Yeah. And then like whenever I think like that, I end up thinking like, but like 70 years ago, what was going through people's minds? You know what I mean? I or like, like, cause they obviously weren't thinking the same way or were they? I don't know. Um, I guess I mean all all you all you really have is like popular media, yes, and stuff. Which, like which is not always reliable. If, yeah, like let's I don't know, look at Mad Men or something. Yeah, and you see this um, construction of the 1960s, and clearly all these characters like there's a place that they're all trying to get, like professionally, personally, um, and like once you're there, you're supposed to be there, and like that's just that's just what you do like you want to have a good job and you want to have like a wife and kids or a husband and kids as the case may be and like and like once you're there you have it and so you should be happy and then you know a lot of them find out that they aren't really content with what they've got so i mean I, i think that even though 
maybe things were a little more stable or a little, a little more predictable even mm-hmm. back then. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that sort of that wanderlust and that like wondering what if and that sort of thinking on what could have been like, I think that's always I think that's been constant, even though it's like it's more evident now than it was then because of, you know, how unstable things are relatively speaking yeah i think there's a little more of a popular air of like if you're worried about there being greener grass you should speak up about it yeah you know i don't think that that was necessarily the thing that was a mainstream idea a hundred years ago you know you were lucky enough to have grass at all (laughs) yeah so I don't know. The book was not as much of a bummer as this podcast makes it sound. It was actually really, it's actually a surprisingly playful book. Uh, and it was, sounds like one of those stealth bum- bummers. It's like time. It is a stealth bummer. You're right. <laughs> like, it's like individual events don't sound like they were too bummery, but like in aggregate, when you're summing them up, they sound like they sound kind of pessimistic. Yeah. The book, I would say the book oscillates between being surprisingly humorous and pretty poignant but then when you take the book in total it is it is a bummer yeah. uh and i think also like for whoever disagrees and i would be happy to hear why um with the recognition the book has got i think i was in the you know i went into it looking for why it won you know what i mean so like i'm mining it for a lot of this thematic material that maybe you wouldn't consider as heavily if you weren't told that it was a Pulitzer Prize winner. It's kind of like, would a movie that I saw in Oscar season still feel like an Oscar movie if I saw it in April? I don't know. Yeah, or like, would a a movie that won, just if you just pick a year and you watch the best picture movie from that year, like, would it still be... Would it would it still be relevant? Would it have stood the test of time and become like a classic, or would it be something that you had never like heard of? Yeah, like it's it's one thing to win an award, but it's another thing to prove that you have like that cultural staying power. Yes, definitely. And, and so maybe that I mean maybe this is a book that doesn't. It's hard to it's hard to say. I don't know. I think it speaks to a whole world of people that we kind of said at the outset we are not necessarily <laughs> like. Maybe I think the I think the whole music thing. Well, maybe like I said. Surprisingly, was not as focused on those people as I thought it would be. It was not. Well, it like, sounds like she didn't. I mean, from what you mentioned, it sounds like she didn't even maybe know enough about the music industry specifically to make it really just about that, as opposed to being something more universal. Yes, it was kind of a it was a stealth goon as it on its own. <laughs> we could, yeah. Let's use the word goon more. Okay. All right. Great. Well, if uh, if if you goons would like to get in touch with us, as we as we mentioned before, we do have an email address that's overduepod at gmail dot com. Um, also, Twitter dot uh, com slash overduepod and Facebook dot com slash overduepod. We also have a website at overduepodcast dot com, and we have up there um, some Amazon links to the books that we have read, that we are reading, that we are going to read. Where if you want to read along or if you hear us talk about one and it just sounds it sounds interesting, it sounds like something you'd like more of, um, if you go to our website and use those links, we get a little tiny cut of that and anything that you also happen to buy. So maybe if you're like planning to buy all of Seinfeld on DVD, you could maybe click on a book link on our site and then do it. I mean, assuming you don't already have that. 
just just substitute whatever you want for Seinfeld. It's it's not. Important. Don't substitute whatever you want for Seinfeld. Seinfeld is its own thing. <laughs> All right. But regardless, if you're on our website, you can also follow the link to our iTunes page where you could rate and review us, which we would greatly appreciate if you did so positively. We would read it and give it some thought if you did so negatively. Uh, you can also plug our RSS feed into any uh, RSS reader that you might choose, uh, including various podcasting apps, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> don't say it. Don't call them podcasts. Nope. That's a good um, word. Also, yeah, the last thing up on the website is we have a little embedded web player. So if you just want to just want to digest the episode that way, that's totally fine. Um, that is a valid choice. But uh, you, can, <laughs> you can subscribe. You can do what you, you can want. Subscribe and, you can subscribe in iTunes if you want. <laughs> uh, great. I think that's the show, Andrew. Yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we will see you next week and try to be happy. Okay. Susanna was making fun of me earlier because of how um how i break it to her that she's like doing something that bugs me what does that mean wait like she's like she's trying to she's trying to lay some smooches on me and i was like hey you 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 kind of taste like milk and she was like is that a bad thing and i was like well it's not great and that made her laugh a lot Instead of break up with me. So I thought that was... I thought that was good.